Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Let me tell you a story. It's a true story. The names were changed to protect the uh, actually guilty. I uh, use the name Biff. I usually do. If anybody named Biff comes here, you head them off the door, tell them to change their name quick. Ever since Back to the Future, I've had a problem with that bully. Um, Anyway, uh, Biff, a number of years ago, a number of years, a long time ago, Biff was in our church, and uh, well, even though he was married, he was still dating around. He felt like he could, and we talked to him, the leadership talked to him about that, and he was pretty committed to dating around. It ultimately led to a divorce, certainly, and, but he was so stubborn and committed um, to uh, his rebellion against the authority here, and it takes a lot for us to actually tell someone you can't come to this church anymore. It's a, it's a little bit like excommunication, but Biff was, Biff was committed, and so we excommunicated him. Now, years go by, and he, he wants to meet with, with me. Now I'm the senior pastor. He wants to meet with me again to, because he's, I've seen, he's seen the light, he says, and he wants to be reconciled to the church and doesn't want to be uh, living outside of the protection of the local church anymore. And I said, well, great, that, that'd be gr- wonderful. And he told me, uh, he, he admitted to a number of things, and it's like, oh, he's getting it. And, and I said, oh, this is so much fun. I love a story that ends you know, happily ever after. And I, I, I literally have this jar of rocks in my office that, uh, that are from the beach where Peter was reconciled with Jesus. It's a very different kind of stone over there. And so I brought some back because I wanted to give people, you know, a rock of reconciliation. So I said, Biff, let's, let's go. Let's go. So uh, after his tears and apologies, he came back nine months later. <clears throat> excuse me. And I told him that we couldn't, we couldn't reconcile. It, was, it wasn't working. And he left plenty angry. And I said, you haven't repented. You've just, uh, you've, you've just confessed some things with uh, great emotion, but you haven't repented. So, okay, two years go by after that. So now we're almost at three years, and he has, he has sent someone to meet with me to tell me that I must reconcile Biff with the church uh, because, he, because he should be. And so I said, well, look here, the, I, I can't help you here because he hasn't repented yet. He only, he only regrets the consequences that now he's feeling the full weight of now that the children are older and he just wants everything to go back the way it was, but he doesn't want to do anything to, to take you know, ownership of what it takes to get back there. So he hasn't repented. And so his mentor, you know, he's, he's a Bible teacher himself. He said, well, what does repentance mean around here then? I said, whoa, 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 it's not around here. And you read your Bible, you tell me, what does repentance look like in the Bible? And, and so he says, well, well what's, do you have a list? I said, no, I'm not going to give a list because if we give Biff a list, he'll do the list, but it still doesn't mean he's repented. You know, it, it's so different for you know, each person and, and the situations. I said, this essentially, right, principally, repentance is this deep, soulish understanding of the crimes you've committed against God and your fellow human being such that you, you, you hurt that, that relationship, your relationship with God and that other person, and, and that, that brings you sorrow and you want to do whatever is necessary to make things right if it's possible. That's, that's what it looks like. And I, we're not seeing any of that from him, except he can, he can admit to certain things and then he can cry, but that's not, that's not repentance. 
And I, and I told him this. I said, look, three years ago when he came in here the first time, I told him, like, the answer key. And I went to the back of the math book and said, this is just do these things. I said, just pay early and extra. Okay? And you know what would be nice? If you would be nice to your ex-wife. Like, just pay a dollar extra a day early. And if you could be nice, it'd be nice. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't do this for more than, a, for the more than 10 years, but he wants to be reconciled. He wants to make everything right. And so, his, again, his, his ambassador said, well, he's having some financial difficulties. He's kind of poor right now. And I said, wait a minute, because I just saw him, and he had a brand-new iPhone, which is the single most expensive personal communication device in the history of mankind. And so if that's financial difficulty, that's different than my definition because his definition of financial difficulty is only being able to afford 150 cable stations. My definition of financial difficulty is not having a TV. My definition of poor is not having a house. Here's the thing. Please know this and take this back to Biff, that we're not asking you to pay alimony so that your ex-wife can go to Nova Scotia and watch the Northern Lights annually. This is child support. This is tennis shoes and doctor's appointments. Reconciliation, repentance. He, he doesn't even know what that means. I, I left him with this. I said, look, if you're mentoring him and you're doing Bible study, you should not be confident that he's even a Christian because he has no concept of what real repentance is. He just wants forgiveness without the repentance. And you can't have reconciliation without repentance. You cannot have reconciliation without repentance. The Bible teaches, throughout the Bible, teaches about what real repentance is, what reconciliation looks like. I mean, it ought to, right? I mean, God is like the ultimate reconciler. For God so loved the world, he reconciled by sending his son. And, and it's, it's, it's not as though the Bible doesn't have, like, Verses and stories and passages that declare this is how two people are supposed to work things out. And we're going we're gonna to look at those principles in the next two weeks. This week we're going to look at how you might make it easy to be forgiven, and next week we're going to look at how to give forgiveness. But the Bible is replete with passages that sometimes very efficiently we'll look at one that says this is, this is faking it and this is the truth. This is a lie and this is authentic. This is the way it was meant to be. Here's a good example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's, he's comparing and contrasting the real thing from the fake thing and he says uh, godly sorrow, that's the real thing. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, that's just simple regret, right? That's just, I'm tired of the consequences. That brings forth death. Look at it again. Look at, the, look at godly sorrow brings forth repentance. Repentance brings back salvation. Salvation is without regret. That's the real thing. That's what it looks like. And, and so to help illustrate that sentence, what I'd like to do is let's read through a real story that happened in real time with Jesus, and we can see someone have godly sorrow that led to repentance, that led to salvation, that led to a life without regret. And then what we'll do is we'll see what we can do in our own lives to glean from that information, okay? So in Luke chapter 19, some, a story that some of you might know, it's a story where Jesus is going into Jericho. I'll put the sentences up on the slides here. So, so Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, 
And a man uh, was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now look, look at his title. He was chief tax collector and was wealthy. That's an understatement. He wanted to see who Jesus was, and, not, and, and being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And so he ran ahead, and he climbed up on a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So there's basically a parade coming because of Jesus, and he climbs this tree. And then verse 5, it says, when Jesus reached the spot where the sycamore tree was, he looked up, and he, he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay in your house today. And he came down at once, and he welcomed Jesus gladly. Now, to, before we move on in the story, to understand the fullness of what's happening, we need some context. The first bit of context is the city of Jericho. Jericho is a cosmopolitan. It's a rather affluent city. It's the center of Roman imperial power. And the reason I tell you all that is because his title is, you know, this is a Roman city that's, that's affluent, right? He's a city worker in charge of chief tax gatherer. So his occupation is to make sure all the taxes are being collected. And I want you to know, this is the absolute worst job description or job that you could have as a Jew. Okay? You are most hated among all the employed. And I mean, there's actually a list of bad jobs that have no honor uh, back then. And I mean, fourth from the bottom, right, is gamblers because they aren't willing to work for a living and they're just trying to find an easy dollar. The second or third, I guess it'd be third from the bottom, um, would be loan sharks because they're taking advantage of their fellow man, charging too much in, in a time when someone needs money. Second from the bottom, pen, pigeon trainers. You know, no one ever liked pigeon trainers. I don't like them either. Uh, actually, uh, culturally, they were involved in the gambling. They were kind of fixing some of the gambling issues, so that's part of the gambling. But the point is, the bottom, the worst, the worst thing you could do for your soul okay, that, that, is, that is shameful and without honor would be a tax collector. And the reason why is because, uh, first and foremost, you, you are working for Rome. You would be considered a traitor because the Jews are in, in Israel, but they're occupied by the Romans that had no uh, respect for their culture or their religion. And so they would hire locals within that culture, and they would say, you are working for us now, and you can use our, our military, our police, to do this. So they were considered a traitor. But the way they made their money was Rome said, you, could, you owe us this amount of money, but anything you get in addition to that, that's yours. And so they were gouging their fellow man. So instead of collecting maybe $100 from you, and if I knew I could get 150 or 300 from you, oh, I would do that. And if you had trouble with that, I had the Roman guards make sure that you were cooperative. So, and, and he wasn't a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. And he wasn't the chief tax collector anywhere. He was the chief tax collector of Jericho. So here is a man with untold wealth, but no honor. Only shame for he and his family. Okay, he's despised by all the citizens. Maybe he has friends among thieves. But you can see, you can relate in the next sentence why the people are wondering what Jesus is doing hanging around a person like... All the people saw this and began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be, with this, with, to be a guest of this sinner. They, they, they just can't put this together. That the person that he will never look, make eye contact with anyone else, and Jesus connects with him and says, I want to I spend the day with you. And so Jesus goes to his house. Again, a person, look at the contrast. The person with untold wealth 
but no honor. And over to his house is a person with almost no wealth to speak of, really, but untold honor. When he comes to town, there's a parade breaking out. And so during this, this meal that's taking place, I think probably right in the middle, the influence of what Jesus has done with him and to him explodes and causes this godly sorrow to break out. So in verse 8, it says, but Zacchaeus stood up in the middle of this, stood up and said, Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Anybody, anytime, four times the amount. Look, look, how, look how what we had here. It was godly sorrow that led to repentance, salvation, and freedom. No regret. And then Jesus, look how Jesus says that. Verse 9, he says, Jesus said to them, today salvation, see, salvation has come to this house because this man too was the son of Abraham. And the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. What in the world did Jesus do to this man? In some respects, it was what we were singing about. Jesus shows him honor and respect. He does that by calling him by name, first of all. First, he calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus. But then one of the most, right, maybe the ultimate expression of giving honor to someone is to go to their house and spend time with them. And so here's Zacchaeus, who has maybe as an adult nothing but stories of shame and dishonor. And now he has this other story of Jesus the Nazarene coming and dining with him and staying with him. And that washes over all of this disrespect. And he says he's a changed man because of it. Because Jesus brings honor to this household full of shame. Now, there's a lot of lessons that we could learn from this story, but because the theme of our two weeks together is, is reconciliation, restoration, forgiveness, I want us to spend our time on just this sentence that is proof that something real happened in his not, life, not um, Biff-like, right? Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Godly sorrow, bringing repentance, salvation, right, without regret. He's, a, he's an absolute changed man. He's free. We, he's free. Think of him. Think deeply into what motivates him. He is a man who gave up everything for money. And now he doesn't care about money. See, he did whatever he was told to get more, and now he's giving it away. To be a generous person, right, to be categorized as a generous person back in these days, if you gave 20% of your income, you, wow, you're killing it. He says 50%. He has found out it is true. It is better to give than receive. He is free from the idolatry that he was in servitude towards. And then second, look, he's also into justice and restitution. He wants to make things right. And back, if you look in the Older Testament, you can see that when someone stole something from someone, you'd have to pay back twice the amount. If I stole or swindled $100 from you, I'd have to pay you $200 to make it worth you and to teach me a lesson and to restore honor. He finds him, he's putting himself in this rare category that he can only find in Numbers or Exodus chapter 22. He considers himself a cattle rustler or a sheep rustler, the worst kind of stealing. In Texas, I think you can still hang people for that. 
And he says, I'm, I'm that kind of person. I'm, I, because if you steal someone's sheep, you had to pay back four sheep. I, I, if I took money from anyone, I'll do an inventory, and I'll pay them back as though I were the worst of all thieves four times the amount. Now, please understand this logic because it makes the difference between life and death. Okay. He didn't do this so that he would have godly sorrow and repentance and salvation. He did this because he already experienced godly sorrow, which brought about real repentance, that brought about right freedom and, and, this, and this life without regret, this salvation that came to him because of this. Now, what we want to do is look at that sentence and the power of what's happening in his life and say, okay, how do we bring that into our relationships? At Grace, right, one of our key values is that we are connected through relationships. And I'll tell you that the deeper the connection in your relationships, the deeper the injury that you have potentially to hurt one another. Oh, you will. Okay. It's inevitable. You will. And, and so now let's look at how in our own lives, we'll be talking this, this week about how I can ask for forgiveness okay? and how I can, I can make it. You can't make someone forgive you, but it says in Romans 12, I think verse 18, uh, it says, listen, as much as it's possible, as, as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. You can't make someone forgive you, but you can make it a lot easier for them to forgive you. And we're going to look at this passage and we're going to say, okay, how do, we, how do we make this easier for a person to hear when we've sinned? How do we make it easy for them to say, you're forgiven, let's restore? It'll probably be better after than even before the injury. Let's look at what we see here. Because I, what I think is the most common mistake that people make in relationships, the reason they're ended, uh, the reason they're maimed for extended periods of time, is because of this inevitability of injury and the deeper you know someone and connected, the more likely you are to hurt them deeper. What happens is when, when the injury takes place, uh, the offender over here says, wow, I'm really sorry, like a $50 sorry for a $1,000 event. And so now it's super awkward because there's 950 tokens or dollars worth of, we didn't deal with this completely. And the person that apologized said, hey, I apologized and I asked you to forgive me. And this person's over here saying, yeah, but it just, I don't think you understood. And so oftentimes the person giving the apology is a little bit self-righteous because they said the words, right? yeah, like Biff, but, they, but they, they, didn't, they didn't grasp what was really taking place. And that's why that type of apologies and that type of reconciliation is very difficult. It's, uh, it's sometimes almost impossible because it is $950 of unfinished business. There's this $950 elephant in the room in the relationship. Today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get that right. Here's the point, okay? A a good, to fight right, the goal of fight right is restoration and justice. The goal in fight right is restoration and justice. Right, to love, right, to, to love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly with the Lord. We're just applying that verse in our, in our relationships. This is how to give a $1,000 apology for a $1,000 event. You can't do much about guaranteeing right, being forgiven, but you can, you can put it out there, right? You can put it out there and say, could you do this, right? Could you make this work? This is what it means to love mercy and to act justly 
and to walk humbly. All right? Five keys so that it makes it easy for a person to give you forgiveness. The first one is to admit specifically what you've done. By leaning into the details of the injury that you caused a person, the person receiving that in their head, they're going, okay, this person is getting a pretty good grasp of what they did and maybe what I experienced. And um, in Zacchaeus' case, right, he's an accountant, so he has ledgers, and he says, if anybody, if I cheated anybody of anything, I will pay them back four times. Right? He's being very detailed about that. If, if you're at work and you say, hey, boss, yeah, I see that you're mad at me, and I'm really sorry the last two weeks I've been a really bad employee, the boss is thinking, do you even know, do you even know what you've done around I mean, you know, the cost? But if you were to say something like, uh, you know, boss, I'm, I'm, really, I'm very sorry, and I'm apologizing because my negative attitude that I've been carrying with me for the last two weeks has infiltrated <laughs> like the team, and, and the things I've said about you know, the other team members and even you as the team leader is causing all kinds of disunity and disrepair, and that's, that's all on me, and I, 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 want, I want to make this right. See, by feel, filling in those details, you're helping the person understand, right, I think you grasp that, you know, it was a, the, 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 sh- the shotgun apologies, they don't have the power to change. Now, the second, the second thing that is absolutely the most important is you have to empathize with the injured. You have to empathize with the injured. And empathy in science fiction, right, the empath is a person that would touch another human being and they would absorb their injury, like physically. Their, your cut became my cut. Uh, empathy means that you go inside of the person that you've hurt and you try to get in touch with like, their values and maybe even their story and their circumstances, and you, you feel the hurt, Okay, you, uh, uh, is it Thomas? No, not Thomas Aquinas. Francis of Assisi, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Right? You're trying to get inside of it. And here's the thing. If you have not empathized with the person's injury that you caused, you can't have godly sorrow. You're not there. Be- because you have, to, you have, and here's why we don't do this, by the way. This is the most difficult part of apologies because we're, all of our psyche, all of the weird stuff that are bent is turned in in self-protection, and I'm not going to face the, the damages I've caused. Because if you open yourself up like you're supposed to, empathy says, I'm going to open myself and get inside of this other person's values and circumstances, and I'm going to get in there and go, good night, who turned this place upside down? Oh, that was me. And, but you have to do that so that you can... You can apologize at a $1,000 level, right? Now, if you can't do that, and many people today just can't, won't, some people can't, you need to go and get help. And when you get help, by the way, uh, I've done this multiple times, when you get help, please don't go to another person, husband, wife, roommates, you know, best friends, whatever, and and this is what usually happens. Uh, Hey, could you tell them the way I feel? That's good. I mean, that's, you're going to need to know that right? That person will need to know that. But what you're going for is you, you want to sit down with someone and say, hey, can you tell me how this injured person that I hurt feels? Because she or he keeps saying the same words. They're not working anymore. Maybe because we keep saying the same sentences. And maybe you, since you know her well and you're kind of like her, maybe you could tell me 
what she feels because of what I've done. Okay. Sometimes you need professional help on this sort of thing. Sometimes, so you're asking for help because you have to empathize with the injured or you can't move on. Um, sometimes you need to ask the person because we have, uh, I guess, honestly, we have different values. Some things matter to us. And so you could just say, so when I did such and such, did that humiliate or did that, I don't know, humiliate you or embarrass you? And they might say, no, it would me embarrass me, but she, no, it didn't embarrass me. I'm, I'm not easily embarrassed. You betrayed me. Oh, okay, let me get inside betrayal. Wow, okay. Let me feel what I did to you in the context of betrayal. See, I'm trying to feel that, right? When the, when the injured, here's the point. When the injured person understands that you, under, that you are grasping the injury you caused, that's when all the energy, the hatred, the, the fear empties out of the difficulties. When you explain, I know what it's like to be you when I'm being me, quite often most of the work is done here. So if, if the apology is, I'm sorry I, I lost my temper, which is a statement of factual historical fact, uh, good luck. But if you say, I'm sorry I lost my temper and then humiliated you in front of your friends, right, and then I stole that whole moment from you, and I don't know what we can do to get this back, but I want to make sure I can because I, I felt you, I could see it in your eyes, you were treating back and thinking, I'm embarrassed to know this person. See? Now they understand. So, again, you can't make somebody forgive you, but you can make it easier. And, and after you've gone into details and empathized with them, the third thing, you, you want to make it right. Make it right means take responsibility. It means, it means pay the bill, right? It means... It means are you, you know, this is the thing people do now. I mean, politicians and, and celebrities, they'll say this. It drives me crazy. If I didn't, yeah, anyway, I want to throw stuff at the TV, but I'm, a, I'm too tight with my money. But, you know, I took responsibility for that. That's what they'll say. They'll say, I took responsibility for that. And they think that sentence is taking responsibility. Then they'll go plead the fifth or whatever, Right. So taking responsibility means telling the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, letting all the evidence out there, and I'll go to jail or pay my fines. It's not saying I'm taking responsibility. It means doing whatever you can to get things right. Zacchaeus, if there is anyone, everybody, if I cheated anybody in any way, I will pay them back out of my money four times. They're going to be glad I talked to them. If you ding someone's car in the parking lot, you're going to want to fix that, right? Sure. If you ding somebody's reputation in a gossip chain, you have to fix that. So you need to, after your apology, and I know that must have been humiliating for people to talk about you that way, and I'm getting on the phone tonight, and I'm going to keep calling people that I talk to, and I'm going to talk to the people they talk to so I can restore the reputation that I ruined. I'm sorry. You see? And here's what happens when you take responsibility. First, justice. This is about justice. And now justice prevails, right? I mean, that's a good thing to, to you know, walk justly. The second thing that happens is restoration. The restoration odds go up because you're, because you're putting things back the way they were. You're paying them back. You're putting them anew. And third, this is just behavioral modification. But you know what happens when you start taking responsibility for your bad actions? You stop doing bad actions. 
Next time you think about gossiping, it's coming out of your mouth. You're going, I don't want to spend three nights making phone calls again. I don't want to do that. So you'll stop. You'll stop. Look, here we are. Look, you admit specifically what's happened, right? And then you're um, empathizing with the person that's injured. That's the key. You do what it takes to get there. You make it right. And then the fourth thing is you change your behavior. Well, duh. Stop doing what you did. And, and you want to communicate that to the person that's been injured because they want to know that they can drop their guard. So you, you say, look, I'm going to go see a friend regularly. I, I will pay for a professional counselor. I will quit this job because this person's there, and I don't want to be around that person anymore. Or, right, whatever it takes. I will pay or do whatever is necessary to make this right and to stop doing it in the future. Make, make Zacchaeus. Look, look what he says. He says, he says to the Lord, look, Lord, look, look what I'm going to do. Watch, here's the thing. I'm not cheating anyone anymore. He's telling him. Then let's go again. Okay, you admit it specifically. You empathize, you empathize with it. You make it right. You change your behavior. And then finally you ask for forgiveness and you allow time. Okay, you allow time. But if you go through the first four steps and then say these words because they need to be said, because this is a spiritual event, okay, I mean, you can say things like, you know, are we good? Hmm, okay, that's slang. This is a spiritual. Will you, could you consider forgiving me? Now, what's happened here is you're putting all the power of reconciliation to them where it belongs. And, and you can say, listen, because of what's happened and because of the carnage that I've left on you, I want you to stop and think, I don't want an easy answer. And so I want you to think about it. Maybe we could meet again. Maybe we have another conversation to fill in some more, more of the details and maybe some more motives. But I want, would you consider forgiving me sometime? Would you do that? And see what happens. Often when you do the five steps or, you know, when you work through these things, and again, I think so many of them are a natural outflow of godly remorse, is you'll end up being coming closer, deeper, more wed together with battle scars, with, with injury stories that were healed, okay? So listen, when you look at the list and you think of your history as a person in a relationship, right? admit specifically, it's the goal is restoration and justice, and you look at those things, how do you expect that you'll do? How do you, what, do you think, what do you think your scorecard's gonna look like? I would say because of you know, our culture and the way we're kind of experiencing relationships and they're becoming more and more superficial, you're not going to do well with this. And my point is not to suggest that this isn't hard and not try it. It is to affirm that it is very difficult and you need to continue to try it. But can I just remind you that you're not good at anything when you start? No one ever is. Whether it's basketball, tennis, or accounting, or whatever it might be, you start off and you're the noob, you're the freshman, you're the pledge, you're the whatever. And, depending, and then if you add, you actually get penalty points depending upon sometimes your family of origin. That you Fight or flight, we didn't talk about this, we didn't know how to apologize, we just moved on. And that was my background. I didn't know how to do any of this. But I knew this. I knew I was broken and I had to get fixed. And so I went to a personal coach and I was fortunate enough, Ray Anderson's on our staff and he was going through the uh, Promise uh, Peacemaker training. It's a national ministry and we needed to apply this at our church in spectacular ways. And so I said, hey, 
Ray, while you're doing all this training, I was just wondering if I might have some private lessons on the side. And whenever I would, whenever I would be in a difficult relationship, I would go to him and say, okay, do I say it this way or that way? Do I hold on to this or do I let it go? If, if someone, even recently, someone's going to apologize to me and I said, I, I don't think he understands how deep he hurt me. And he said, Matt, you got to tell him. Let him empathize. He's coming to empathize with you. Let him know how deep it hurt, and he will respond. I just, I know him. And, and I mean, so the, here's my point. Ten, it's been 10 years, 10 years of just practicing and failing and getting up and, and learning a little bit better. I don't know. I'm on the JV team. I don't think I'm starting, but I'm still in the game, you know, occasionally. I get to practice with the team. So You want deep relationships. You do. You do. You're designed for this. So lean into the certainty of not doing this well, but it's worth trying again and again. In five years from now, right? In five years from now, you'll need a different person that knows how to do this more effectively. In 10 years from now, who knows you'll be coaching someone else. Godly sorrow, it is magic. It produces repentance, and repentance brings back, you know, born again, right? Spiritual revival, a life without regret. Do this. Can you imagine what it would be like? Wouldn't this be fun? Another part of the story, uh, five years later, right, in Jericho, right, is with the Zacchaeus story. So it's five years later, and you come back to town. You moved out. The taxes were too high. The cops were bullies, all that sort of thing. You're in town for a business trip, and you run into an old friend, and he says, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> you need to go by and see Zacchaeus. No, 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 no. I'm not seeing him. What's he going to do, break my fingers? And No, no, listen, he's looking for you. And he's going to want to have you over to his house. Like, for what? He goes, well, for the talk. Because everybody gets the talk. And he'll have you over, and he'll have this big banquet, and he'll put you at the head of the table like you're the bell of the ball. And then he'll give you, and the talk goes like this. You know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if it cost him his soul? And he's the guy he's talking about. And then he'll say things about, boy, you can't really live until you die first. And he'll tell you how he died and how he got better from that. And then he'll, t- it's just really, it gets really strange, but he'll start talking about Zacchaeus in the third person when he talks about the old Zacchaeus. And he'll, you remember all the stories and names we used to call him? He calls himself those names and much worse, and then laughs about it because that's not him anymore. And then right about the time dessert's coming around and you think it's all over and you're still waiting for the penny to drop, the penny drops because then he gets up and leaves. He comes back and will have this big sheet of paper. It'll have your name on it. And he's been waiting for you. He has tallied up anything and everything that he's ever stolen from you. And he will drop a bag of coins in your lap and say, this is four times what I stole. Could you, would you consider forgiving me? And if not, maybe we could talk. It's, he's coming to get you. It is so strange living in Jericho now that in the town square, there's a statue with him. He's little. But underneath on the base, it says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's restoration. That's a real thing. That's the truth, the whole truth. 
Let's pray that we might practice this maybe this weekend, Thanksgiving. Lord Jesus, we lift up our lives to you and um, we lift up this to you. Lord, could you bring to our mind maybe an issue, a, a face, a, a memory of someone that we could take a first practice with about what it really means to repent? Could you bring us, could your spirit cause us to have godly sorrow so that it would produce the real repentance? It would lead to a new kind of salvation and we would live without regret. Would you do that in our lives and give us those moments? I also pray, Lord, uh, in, in the future, maybe over a table or maybe in a kitchen in the corner where we could have a, a conversation maybe with a sister or a brother or a family member that's been a long time coming and that you would help us make things right. As much as it's up to us, that we be at peace with all men. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.